Ed, how are you doing? Yes, very good, thanks. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, pretty good. It's been an interesting week of football, hasn't it not? It has indeed. So let's start with the, that QPR game. And it's a bit miserable in that first half. I have to say, uh, unfortunately, due to personal circumstances, I had to rush out of the house just at the point at which QPR went ahead. And I sort of left the house thinking, oh, it'll probably be all right now. It's been one of those things. After the game, Darren Fletcher came out and said something along the lines of, we've got to do better, this isn't good enough. Why why is it that we always need to go behind before the reaction is provoked? Which is fair enough, but isn't this about the 87th time that someone after a United game has come out and said this? Yeah, a very telling quote from... Lindegaard I thought who said I was saying to one of my teammates in the dressing room what would we have done if they hadn't scored that's a very sort of interesting thought really isn't it well which which provoked a couple of thoughts in me which is it's pretty worrying not just that United are lax enough that they're going behind all the time which is bad enough but also there appears to be something of an attitude problem there why is he even questioning this you know it's not from Lindegaard Lindegaard's fair enough but he appears to have unveiled a, a bit of an attitude problem within the squad something isn't quite right if United are going behind all the time and I mean not to be massively reductive about it and bang on a point that we've been banging on about for quite literally years but the problem appears to be the problem with Manchester United's squad hear me out right don't all jump down my throat about this right this is controversial what seems to me to be the biggest problem with Man United's squad is there's a sort of problem in the central midfield area Oh, God, that's a controversial one. And I've not heard it before. That's some cutting-edge analysis there. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable, isn't it? You would have thought that a manager of Sir Alex Ferguson's stature in the game, a man with his own statue, might have done something about that. I mean, talking of statues, Paul Scholes and Darren Fletcher not forming the most dynamic and confidence-inspiring central midfield partnership in this game. Obviously, Fletcher scored, and that, that was an emotional moment, wasn't it? Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, great great for him. Uh, I mean, I, I've spoken a little bit about Fletcher before, and I think he's changed his game a little bit. And, and look, maybe some of the old stuff will come back, but afterwards, Ferguson said, you know, we've got the old Fletcher back, and, and I just don't think that's true. I don't think he's the old Fletcher at all, anyway, and Paul Scholes didn't have a good, very good game. I have to say, I, I don't think Paul Scholes has been very good since that extended break that uh, Ferguson gave him, you know, a month or so ago, and he's he's not quite with it at the moment. And, and I think that's probably a good phrase for United as a whole in this game not quite with it Ferguson said that they play for 10 minutes total in the match and I think that's about right you know that burst of goals but before then it was pretty terrible and afterwards it wasn't so great either so tell, tell me about the goals who who what changed from the absolute sort of turgid drivel that I saw in the first half well, it was, it was just, it was a burst of goals, you know. It was, you know, eight or nine minutes in which United put on the pressure and, and managed to score the goals. I mean, Johnny Evans, he's striker supreme this season, can't look up, stop scoring by his standards at least. And then good strike from Fletcher just a couple of minutes later and then Hernandez wraps it up, you know. And But really, we were talking like less than a 10-minute spell in which United scored all those goals. But And, and throughout the game, United you know, had lots of pressure, creating more chances, of course, you know, lots of pressure. Two-thirds of the, the ball, two-thirds of the chances sort of thing but there just definitely wasn't a feeling that this was United anywhere near top gear and maybe maybe that's enough you know and I think you said it earlier this season didn't you you know United probably don't have to be brilliant to win the Premier League this season the City have got their own deficiencies appear to have gone backwards frankly Chelsea are in utter chaos changing their manager every three or four weeks and uh, and United may well take advantage of that you know you wonder whether United could do the same thing in Europe I have my doubts I think there are just too many weeks 
weaknesses through the side. Yeah, you wrote a piece, didn't you, this this week on the blog saying that you know maybe that's maybe that's it. United just don't need to be at their best, and that definitely seems to be the case. I mean, certainly we don't have to be at our best to beat QPR, but the fact that City have drawn five games with it, they haven't lost any yet. You know, it it, it is slightly ominous to me. I think the fact that they they just we've already lost three games this season. And one in Europe too, yeah. I mean, it's, it's becoming a habit, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say about the QPR game, I don't think United defended badly. You know, I, I know Lindegaard was angry about the goal, and, and you know, rightly so. And all, all goals come from mistakes of one sort or another. But I don't think United generally through the back four defended badly, which, which was a better... You know, I thought Evans was very good actually, you know, because I think he's been a little bit hit and miss this season, after a very good season last year, but I thought he was very good, I think it was one of his better performances this season and of course, you know, if you want to talk about bonuses from the game, then goals from set pieces once again, I mean, you can't stop scoring become the stoke of the Premier League It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I really, I like, I like our, our new thing that we do where we, uh, we we score goals from set pieces and we sort of create this great attacking threat every time we've got an attacking set piece, it's, it's a nice facet to have in our game. I mean, you, you're right about the defenders and actually Rio had a pretty good game as well I thought but I mean it is worrying that nothing is being done to address the defensive vulnerability of our midfield yeah and and, and maybe Fletcher's the answer you know I mean as I've said he's he is very disciplined yeah but yeah there's going to be a sacrifice if Fletcher plays increasingly and you know that's two games in a row for Fletcher that was and, and then there definitely will be a sacrifice well, one interesting thing I, I thought, uh, Nick Powell had came on again, and after you know his pro- pretty positive performance against Galatasaray, it appears that he's being integrated more and more into the first team picture now, doesn't it? And I think that's a really good thing. He's a he's a very positive player. He had ten minutes or so against Cooper, and I thought he was he's the kind of player that takes few risks, you know, with that ball in the final third. And I I, I think he's slightly different to the other players we've got in the squad, although he likes to play in that side, kind of number ten role. But he's a positive, and I think he could add something to United's midfield. I'm not saying it's instantaneous or anything like that and he's certainly not going to be a defensive player and and another positive we had uh, 20 minutes or so from Anderson who I thought did pretty well you know I thought he came on he ran with the ball he injected some energy into the United midfield and uh, you know I'm not Anderson's biggest fan by any means but I, I think when Ferguson said he changed the game he did in a way because he added a little bit more impetus and oomph to to the game at that uh, crucial time yeah I mean I'm not Anderson's biggest fan either but I really like it when he comes on and runs with the ball uh, you know it's it really does make a big difference to our midfield to have someone who will just get on the ball and then run and then you know when a player runs breaks from midfield running with the ball it definitely makes things happen defenders start to have to run backwards instead of just standing their ground and you know it's all that there's there's movement and energy and all those things which make a difference in football matches yeah and, and the movement came from Hernandez who came on for skulls at the same time and it, it suddenly changed United from being very lethargic to being quite dynamic uh, interesting that there was quite a huge cheer when Young came off and I think it was for Young coming off rather than Anderson coming on and a little bit distasteful really and uh, had an exchange with a couple of people on Twitter about it and I, I thought that probably wouldn't have happened 20 years ago you know United the, the Old Trafford crowd has always been w- one of positively supporting the players but Young has irked quite a few fans I think you know he's a touch or two below the top quality isn't he and I think people recognize that and he just he seems very limited in his games at times especially in games like this. Yeah, he's also a bit chippy and likes a dive. 
Yeah. And I do think that makes a big difference. You know, I think if he if he if he didn't have that then he'd have more credit in the bank with United fans. But I, I agree with you, it's it's always unfortunate when when our fans turn on players and, and it isn't something we've necessarily done historically. But you know, the the, the game's changed, got more fierce. Yes. Well, you know, certainly from the fans, there's there's no room for error anymore. Of course, Skulls picked up his fifth booking of the season. You know, typical Skullsy tackle and uh, missed the West Ham game as a result. But there's a wider question about Skulls. I think he he really feels like he's showing his age now. And we were so positive about Skullsy when he came back at, from January onwards last season. He he really did make a difference to United's campaign. Uh, I have to say, I'm pretty worried about his future. I can't see him going beyond the end of the season if it continues like this. Yeah, I mean, the way that I have observed it was he came back and he was a little bit shaky and then he hit real top stride and for about three months was magnificent and the last month of the season dropped off a bit and this season, you know, started okay, picked up a little bit, then had a couple of weeks out and has really looked ring rusty to me. He just looks a bit, I want to say dopey, but it's not quite the right word, but he just looks a bit like sluggish on the ball. His thinking doesn't look like it's as quick. A couple of times he's given the ball away really casually, not under pressure. We talked constantly about how difficult it is for him when teams pressure him physically but that doesn't even have to happen anymore he gave the ball away against QPR a couple of times quite dangerously and very sloppily and it, and it is a worry because if his legs have gone in the parlance then we really are in trouble in that area it's uh, hit skulls and young and a few others provoked uh, I don't know whether you read Alex Netherton and Andy Thomas Andy Thomas from Twisted Blood and Alex Netherton from Surreal Football they do a uh, The Diary of Love and Hate on Counter Attack it's, uh, well it's a blog on thescore.com every week and I, it made me laugh because they, they ask whether Ferguson's still got it and uh, whether he should even be the United manager anymore and uh, perhaps we should consider him going at some point you know I had to laugh given my past history with this particular subject but uh, a very good point they made make in that piece is that uh, Ferguson's reliance on their geriatricos as, uh, as they put it is, is pretty serious and uh, bordering on illogical at times I mean talked about how bad gigs has been uh, and Scholes isn't quite there yet but if he keeps performing like this then then he'll be there too and uh, and that's a worry and, and Carrick's not having his best season after having a very good season last year he was I think he was Rant's player of the season last year you know the trophy all the players really want yeah of course but he wouldn't be anywhere close this year I don't think no, absolutely not. Robin's got his name on that trophy this season. People are going to have to go some. Uh, I know it's early days yet. Yeah, so I guess the, the QPR game, you know, it's three points, right? That That's good. It was difficult that we made heavy, heavy work of it, but it kind of felt like that was inevitably going to happen. And it was interesting that Anderson, from everything that I've read and seen, Anderson and Chicharito came on and changed the game together. And interesting, again, that Chich gets on the short score sheet from the subs bench, having started two games in a row and not been able to score. Yeah, I do worry for him that he'll be labelled as a super sub. It's, it's already happening, isn't it? And he does score a lot of goals from that position because... He- his paces and his movement is is excellent. You know, he's going to be dangerous there. I think he's got more than that. It's just great to see him scoring so many, you know. It means United have a lot of strings to the bow, especially with Rooney being out for that game. Shame for Welbeck in a way that he's he's been restricted. Uh, I mean, he started against QPR, had an OK game, I thought, you know, no more than that. But yeah, nice that Ferguson's got so many options at the moment up front. <laughs> 
Talking of options up front, an option we don't have anymore because of the cruel fates and the passage of time is to bring on Eric the King. Uh, 20 years since he signed for United on the 26th of November 1992. 20 years, Ed. I mean, we are definitely old men. There's no question about that. But it's been an absolute feast of Ericness all over the web uh, this week. Except on rant, I didn't manage to get a piece up uh, on the day itself. But yeah, it's been great uh, looking at all the old videos and the goals and the quotes and and memories of the time and uh, some brilliant quotes from people involved in the deal the chairman of Leeds and Howard Wilkinson and Ferguson about how it all happened and and one thing you know obviously he was a brilliant player and we've romanticized him over the years of course because he's not the best player United ever had you know arguably you take that back (laughs) well you know honestly being trying to be objective which is hard uh, with Eric of course especially as me and Eric are such best best teammates of course of course you know yeah as Uh, as I call him (laughs) my man is and look he he's not United's best ever but he his influence is almost still being felt isn't it you know we talked about gigs and skulls Eric is still the man that changed everything for gigs and skulls and that generation he's the man that inspired united to take the step to glory and and the first championship of 26 years and all the cups and and all the the rest of it he's a crucial part of the thing that turned united from a cup team club and effectively a failing club into this global behemoth that's now brand is stretched across the world and and there's some irony in that of course because that was one of the reasons that canton was cited in retiring now that the uh his image and was being exploited for marketing gain and he saw what was coming and he didn't like it but on the positive side 20 years since he signed and that yes you're right that does make me feel old but it was a wonderful period of time and uh, just inspired signing and a huge piece of luck i suppose in a way yeah absolutely and it's interesting you mentioned Giggs and Skulls and his influence still being felt by them and then by extension all the people who have come through the club looking up to the two of them you know and all the, the kids that were at the club now Nick Powell you know watching Skulls on the training pitch or whatever and you know Danny Welbeck growing up watching Ryan Giggs do tricks and all that kind of stuff and that, that work ethic that was ingrained into the class of 92 by watching Eric train for you know an hour after training sort of thing a training would finish and then practice would start and that was you know that was a huge change in the culture of the club yeah I, I think so and I think he influenced Fergie and all the coaches and, and all the players around him you know watching there's there's a few things I've really loved uh, Anton Alfie put a terrific video of 82 all 82 of Eric's goals and there's a few things that I really noticed about that one first ever assist for an Eric Cantona goal at Manchester United do you know do you know this one Ed I don't actually Mike Phelan was the first person to assist him, which leads me to believe that he will also assist Eric when Eric takes over from Sir Alex. Uh, very nice. But of course, Mike Phelan is probably just trying to control the ball, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, something like that. We, we think he did his knee as well in, at the time because he kind of ends up in a crumpled heap while Eric's off celebrating. Of course, Phelan being the man who invented Movember. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's Mo all year round for Mike Phelan. Another thing that I noticed was gigs, piles of assists from gigs to, to Eric and after almost every single one, Ryan Giggs sort of runs up to him with this look of, like, love and admiration in his eyes, you know, grinning from ear to ear, that kind of enthusiasm that Giggs used to have, you know. I mean, he still still has a lot of enthusiasm for the game, but obviously he's he's got older and less sort of wide-eyed over the years. But this, this incredible admiration, and also just the way Ferguson was with Eric. It, it's different to how he's been with almost 
any well with with any other player. It's that it's that old story of everyone suited and booted at some United occasion, and Eric rocks up in jeans and a t-shirt, and the players all sort of look at the boss, going, "Oh, what's going to happen? Is he going to give him the the hairdryer, or you know, send him away, or whatever?" And Sir Alex goes, "Ah, he's some man that Cantona." Just a different standard for him, and you you can see the sort of look in Fergie's eyes of some of the stuff that Eric does, some of the goals he scores, just that kind of God, he's good, isn't he? He certainly was. He certainly was. Well, talking to the boss, uh, we've talked about the statue like six or seven times now, I think, but it was actually finally unveiled. And it was a lovely little ceremony, I thought, wasn't it? You know, stars past and present, including Eric, were there. And unfortunately, Eamon Holmes was presenting the ceremony. And I was a bit worried that the natural platform they'd built to unveil the statue might collapse, you know, given Holmes's weight these days. But uh, it didn't. And Cathy unveiled it. And Ferguson seemed very pleased. And it actually looked somewhat like him, you know, a bit... Really? Ish, you know, ish. 25 years younger, maybe. No, it's not as bad as that one. I've forgotten his name. The groundsman at Southampton. Still my favourite football statue ever, that one. Yeah, my my favourite football statue ever is obviously Michael Jackson at Fulham. Yeah, a lovely ceremony and, oh my God, talk about nostalgia. It was just, it was almost unbearable, the nostalgia that evening. Pictures of Eric shaking hands with Dennis Irwin. Pictures of Van der Sar, Cole, York, Rude and someone else, I can't remember who, all standing in a line uh, Ollie the picture of Ollie and Eric sat next to each other looking up at the statue unveiling just too much interesting to watch who stayed for the game the next day and who didn't Eric of course did not because as you say he finds finds the whole thing a bit distasteful I think and the times he comes back to Old Trafford I always tend to be to be a mark of respect for fellow professionals rather than to participate in some you know Manchester United thing but they must have got the rights to absolutely blow out the Cantona coverage on manunited.com this week that the, the 12 days of Cantona, much to the annoyance of our friend at Expertie, who had 12 gifts of Cantona all lined up and ready when uh, when stupid official Man United stole his thunder. I reckon uh, that's a Illuminati situation. Well, they knew it was going to happen before it happened. Obviously. Yeah, loads of Eric coverage on manunited.com, as you'd expect, and competitions, and uh, I think they're probably marketing it in the shop as well, actually. Of course, uh, the best content on manunited.com this week, Musa Kongwa, our friend Musa's poem, uh, Cantona's Collar, which we've seen elsewhere, of course, but a uh, nice video reading as well. Yeah, phenomenal. The man's a genius. Not just Eric in this case, but Musa as well. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the business side of it, what what permission do they need from Eric to do something like that? Do they have permission in perpetuity to use his name and likeness rights in the shop and all that kind of stuff? I wonder how all that works. It's interesting. Yeah, I I can't remember, actually. I mean, because, of course, this this was quite a controversy, the image rights associated with Cantona's contract when he was at United and the fact that Cantona then trademarked his own image, didn't he, afterwards? And and there's a lot of nonsense written about it at the time, about Cantona being greedy and wanting to exploit his own rights. It's actually he probably more an anti-commercial move than anything else from from Eric but I, I assume that his contract at the time gave rights to to use the image and the video and stuff from the time so uh, that's exactly what happened Anders Lindegaard this week has said that football needs a gay hero and I can't help but agreeing with him. I, I thought it was really lovely to see him say that. Homophobia, the one of the two last great frontiers. We've had lots of problems with racism in football but you can't claim that that's an unaddressed subject although you definitely, definitely can claim it's an unresolved problem. But sexism and homophobia are both thoroughly running rampant through the world of football. 
They are, and unfortunately anti-Semitism as well this week with West Ham fans making the hissing gas chamber sound at Tottenham fans this week. So um, unfortunately those are three areas that have not been addressed. As as much as football has, has done a lot to try and tackle racism, and we've, we've talked about racism an awful lot over the last year, haven't we? But very mature and sensible thoughts I thought from Linda Gard on his blog if you haven't read it there's some quotes on guardian.com as well as on his blog which is written in Danish helpfully but you know Google Translate is always there and he basically said that uh, yes there, there needs to be a high profile gay player come out and he quoted some stats about uh, you know, something like 12% of the population being gay but there's zero footballers in Denmark of a thousand professionals that have come out and it's the same here in England I mean not since Justin Fashnu and we've had a, a few people in in other sports Stephen Davis the cricketer Gareth Thomas the rugby player and a few other sports as well but no one in football and and it's this macho culture that appears to be dominating yeah and it's I mean I think it's not just the macho culture but I think it's a specifically homophobic culture as well you know any hint of homosexuality just leads to relentless kind of fnar fnar and just there's just a there's just no respect for homosexuality within football you know and it's interesting because there are obviously gay footballers there's there's got to be gay Premier League footballers. There's got to been quite a number of gay Premier League footballers since the beginning of the, the Premier League. And as you say, no, none have ever come out. And I don't know, I think if I was a gay Premier League footballer, I would find it very difficult to come out. Because what do you do after that? How do you find the courage to be the, the first? You know, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's like, it's so much easier to be the 10th person doing something than the first person to do something. The, the vanguard of this movement is, is going to be slow in, in, forth, in being forced coming and and it would be wonderful if we lived in a world where that that just wasn't the case because it's crazy well uh, yeah and uh, as Lindegaard points out in his piece the concern is over the fans rather than the professionals I mean he says he doesn't think any footballers would have a problem I'm sure there would be some of course being you know the culture that's in the game but but yeah fans are an issue and and unless the FA and other bodies decided to take a real stand and start closing sections of grounds or dealing with it in the same way as racism so you know the papers prepared to point out you know anyone making homophobic chants then then there's no chance of any player coming out having an easy time of it at all Tottenham fans over the years uh, gave Sol Campbell some horrendous abuse uh, he's straight as far as I know but they used homosexuality as a weapon to bash him with repeatedly that doesn't show any signs of letting up and I think you know the real problem is that football fans as a collective behave like idiots all the time use football as an excuse to behave like idiots it's used as an excuse to be racist and sexist and homophobic and vile and just you know just vile to other human beings even if there's no grounds for it other than they support a different team you know the the way rival fans talk about each other it's pathetic because when you're talking about another group of football fans you're talking about yourself reflected back you're part of a group of football fans and so are they and so what if you support a different team? You know, it gets right down to this us and them mentality that's at the heart of football and, you know, to a certain extent lies at the heart of humanity and it's 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 shifting that consciousness in ourselves. That's what will enable things like racism, sexism, homophobia, all those forms of discrimination. I'm genuinely not being flippant about this, but like the way that Man United fans talk about people from Liverpool, I don't mean every Man United fan and, and I'm sure they're not being serious most of the time, but the kind of collective of Man United fans talking about the collective of Liverpool fans and vice versa it's a despicable ways to talk about fellow human beings it's based in broad brush stereotype and nonsense ah yeah but they're barely human are they <laughs> 
in all seriousness, of course, you're right. And we, the collective football fans, behave terribly. We mentioned West Ham fans a little minute ago. Yeah, some pretty poor behaviour, I thought, from them against Tottenham. And West Ham were at Old Trafford this week. Goal inside 20 seconds, or 20 and a little bit change. But uh, apart from that, not a great performance. Yeah, missed the second half of the QPR game and the first half of the West Ham game this week. I've made poor choices uh, in terms of seeing United's goals. Part-timer. That's your problem. <laughs> I could be accused of many things in my life. Ban this sick film. <laughs> but not not watching far too much Manchester United on television is not one of them. But yeah, unfortunately, due to real life circumstances, I didn't get to see it. T- tell me about that goal then, Ed. Well, it was a goal, and it was very early. And for once, United did not go behind. Amazing. Quite remarkable. But, of course, United were stunned by this, I think. This is the only explanation I can come to for the mediocrity that followed. It Just no one could compute the fact that they didn't have to come from behind, and therefore there was zero urgency in the game. I mean, you know, I'm I'm worried about what's going on at United. I, I I don't understand what this week teaches us, what the week before teaches us, where where we're at. I find it feel, it feels so hard to assess. I, I definitely think that with our wingers not firing on top of the obviously well established problems in central midfield, those those strikers are not able to get consistent enough service. And in the second half against West Ham, the the final ball was consistently awful from basically all over the place. Yeah, it was no different to the first half got to say it's right look i think united actually defended very well and and if you were to pick a few players that come out of the game with lots of praise then it would definitely be Raphael and johnny evans right and and lindegaard did well too very good save in the second half but solid at the back which was nice to see and Raphael being dynamic and not getting injured and not doing anything stupid but one one occasion i remember he was kind of out of position but in midfield it's really passive i mean anderson did run with the ball he does add that sort of injection of pace running through midfield and he played some good passes, but at the same time, he, he wasted a lot of possession too, I thought. We've had questions about two players this week. Uh, one of them, good questions about how good Raphael is, and uh, the other, how bad Ashley Young is. A question from at Tom Tom Tard, questioning how Ashley Young has become a United player. At Candy Kirkwood, questioning the point of Ashley Young. That was very harsh. And then on the flip side, I, th- I think United asking whether Raphael is world class. I know, I know how much you love that expression. And also at Ben MUFC63, asking whether Raphael is right at the moment the best right back in the league can't believe we're even suggesting that so you want to take those two in turn then ed all very good points yeah actually i, I think i tweeted at one point uh, mediocrity thy name is ashley young and i had a ton of replies going not harsh enough not harsh enough he is mediocre isn't he by by the standards that united want to create world-class <laughs> players quote unquote he's not that and when he's out of form as well as being that then you, you kind of do question what he adds to the game that, that kind of thing where he cuts in and lashes one into the top corners begin to feel like it, it's making him a one-trick pony because what else does he do he does feel very one-dimensional as a player and and so that's not good and i think my, i think people just kind of feel that and couple that with what's happening with nani where you've got a player who's unbelievably frustrating and inconsistent but delivers some huge amount of quality and he's clearly being pushed out of the club and and will probably leave in january then it kind of feels that we're settling for something that's you know worse than second best there and and then on Raphael, i just think he's grown immeasurably and it's got to help him so much that he's playing regularly that he's not being chopped and changed all the time and he's fit you know is he the best right back in the premier league if he's not he's not far off it as football fans we're prone to hyperbole frequently aren't we but i'm not sure whether that is hype i think uh, Raphael is very close to being the best in the in the Premier League in his position at this moment. 
I don't know how long it'll last, and and but I mean I think this is this is the longest he's ever had in the team, and it's definitely the longest he's ever gone without injury, isn't it? So uh, you know, long long may that continue. And it seems like a long time ago when we just basically all assumed that Rafael would get injured by the end of the game. Now. Having said all this, it's a cruel game, isn't it, football? It's hard to stay in that kind of physical condition, especially if you have any kind of injury proneness in you. Like injury proneness tends to be used as a bit of a stick to hit players with, but generally speaking, it's not their fault. You know, of course, sometimes it is, but also it's just it's a very physically demanding thing to be a top level footballer, isn't it? It is, and I guess the other main talking point from the West Ham game was the formation of another kind of narrow diamond, wasn't it? With Rooney kind of you know, at the tip of the midfield, I suppose, and, and Carrick holding, and, and then Anderson and Cleverly in between. And that, I mean, it worked to an extent that United were secure, and, and I don't think it's it's not inconsequential that the last clean sheet United had, wasn't it? Not away at Newcastle with a, a uh, diamond in midfield then again. I do think it gives United a more solid base defensively. Because at times, United had three players holding in front of the back four when West Ham were trying to break. But it did make United a bit kind of myopic in the play, I think. And and because there wasn't the out ball wide at all, and Anderson is prone to give it away at times, then that gave United a little bit of a problem. I, you know, I think we just didn't cause Jaskolainen and in a West Ham goal any anywhere near as many problems as we should have. The only bit of that that I disagree with is I think you've cited the wrong player as being the one causing the problem. I didn't see the whole game, but it, it looked to me that Rooney was in the middle of an absolute shock. And no, he, you're right, you're right, yeah. And, and uh, I didn't mean to single out Anderson. I mean, Rooney had a stinker, for sure. And and But he was everywhere. He was working hard, but it just wasn't coming off for him. Just to drop the old stat bomb, uh, 81% pass completion, which feels low for Rooney, I don't know whether what your thoughts on that are but very very low in the attacking third 19 out of 27 that's that's giving the ball away an awful lot like a, a third of the time pretty much in the attacking third and that's that's what was so noticeable that his final ball was pretty terrible there was one gorgeous through ball but but otherwise just a, a lot of giving the ball away yeah and that's why united didn't break west ham down more and and he's shooting very wayward as well um no, noticeably so i thought just the classic rooney's first touch rooney's delivery both of both not looking right as always that tends to mean that Rooney's not looking right and I, I do think that the Rooney problem is an absolutely fascinating one because we really do need him to be functioning to work properly you know it's 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 so often that when he's playing well we, we end up playing well and and against West Ham I think if the things that Rooney was trying had come off it would have been a very different story if he'd been on form in that game at the tip of that diamond then everything becomes more dangerous there's so much more doubt in the defender's minds it's the, ho- the whole kind of you know meta game of it all the fact that Rooney had an off day makes the whole thing sort of look like it's kind of falling apart unusual that he got dragged off early as well yeah, but I mean that's that's the new paradigm isn't it that's the that's the Robin Van Persie's in the squad paradigm that, that that's that's where he is in the squad Yep, and Van Persie, another goal for United. And some interesting stats going around on Twitter about where United would be without Robin Van Persie. I've co- I mean, of course, it's completely misleading because you would actually replace him with someone else. But, you know, I, and I, I have to say I don't put much store in those kind of stats. I think as one, one Twitterer said, without a goalkeeper, United would have naught points, which is a very good point. It does indicate that, that Van Persie in the side is, broadly speaking, working, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, it's extremely functional. But, you know, the, the Rooney thing, his level when he's bad is really, really bad, isn't it? You know, he really does have 
proper dips in form and and I just don't know what causes it I just don't know whether it's something to do with physical fitness or if it's just to do with confidence and and sort of how well his life's going and all that kind of stuff but we just hope it comes back soon don't we because you know we, we we need him to be functioning well for that thing we talked about in the QPR game of like United not being that good but that being good enough you know one of the reasons it's good enough is because Wayne Rooney so he's a very important player to United, whatever position he's playing, and and right now it's it's at number ten, and and if he's not working, there's no fulcrum to the side, and and that's an issue. Be interesting to see what Ferguson actually does with this diamond, because you know you just feel that he's a bit undecided, and the same way he's been undecided about the goalkeeper, although maybe he's decided that Lindegaard's his number one now. You know, David de Gea obviously can't be trusted because his teeth might erupt at some point. You know, it seems an odd reason to drop de Gea permanently, doesn't it? But it, at, right now, it seems to be the case. But the diamond formation, as we said, it, it gives United some positives for sure you know especially defensively which has been such a problem this season on the negative side there are loads too I, I don't think United quite have the right players to really make that work I mean effectively you're talking about really good ball retention in the in the final third aren't you you know to break down an opponent especially if they know you're playing like that and can play really really narrow because there's no plan b you have to keep the ball all the time and and with West Ham West Ham played 2v2 at the back where they're the two markers versus Van Persie and Hernandez all the time and I mean it made it quite a tight game there and then they pulled the fullbacks in really narrow and they weren't that ambitious with the fullbacks so you know what do you expect I mean some sometimes our players in the final third look like they're exactly the kind of players to do that because that you know with the high level of technical ability that the, the little interplay the the back heel out of nowhere you know that, that opens it up but as you say it's like the percentages it's not really a great game percentages wise you, you really have to you really have to hit very high percentages to get it to work properly, don't you? As opposed to a kind of slightly more direct style where it can work less often and be as effective. Right, and I've heard people say, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of Barcelona-style, tippy-tappy around the, the, the box, but that's, that's just not true at all. And, and, you know, Barcelona play with two very wide men when they want to, and, and so they can switch the game. Frequently, they don't put crosses in, right? The wide the wide men are used to stretch the game and to stretch the opponent because the tendency is to, to pull your fullbacks very, very narrow and, and just defend your box, But and which is exactly what West Ham did. I mean, they only had a, a third of the possession or so, but United have had it very hard to get through that wall at times it there were you know six or seven very central West Ham defenders and United were resorting to shooting from distance as a result but it's a real dilemma for Fergie because if his wing players are not functioning properly and playing with that kind of width means that he seems to favour a, a very pedestrian central midfield which is incredibly vulnerable defensively, it's a, it's a real dilemma because it's not working defensively and it's not working going forward because the wingers aren't playing well. So, you know, you can see why he is experimenting with something which is more compact and tighter because at least that way the team functions as a defensive unit and he's got the the firepower up front to theory you know quite unfortunate in some ways that it ended up 1-0 on another day that could easily have been 3-0 but equally it could have easily been 0-1 sort of thing well, I mean, if you think about the, the chance West Ham had very near, well, sort of midway through the second half when Lindegaard saved to his left, yeah, I mean, you know, quite easily that could have been a draw as a result. Not not that West Ham would have deserved it, but, but you know, on those fine margins, United lived. So, look, I, I said earlier in the season that there might be a sacrifice at some point. Yeah, you did. That Kagawa might get sacrificed or pushed wide. And what's happened now, because Kagawa's injured, is that Rooney's moved into the centre and Ferguson's not prepared to make that sacrifice, right? So he's changed the formation instead in the in the games that Rooney and 
Van Persie are fit and it's not a dead rubber and he's not resting people, they're both going to play. So what gives? So either you give a player in central midfield and you play really open through central midfield and you give up goals, which is what has happened repeatedly this season, you know, 14, 15 times, whatever it is. Or you play an extra man in midfield by playing a diamond and you give up any width. And that's because United just aren't good enough through central midfield to play two. That's the thing. It's interesting. We had a question from at Pizza Face saying that after finally playing the midfield combination, everyone's been sort of hankering for of seeing those kind of more the younger, more mobile midfielders against West Ham. He's asking whether it was a success. And I think, you know, it's clear that it was only partially a success, wasn't it? The the answer is not Anderson and Cleverly as opposed to Skulls and Carrick. The, the one thing that I don't understand why we haven't seen is the one and the other combination in a two of Carrick and Cleverly, Carrick and Anderson, Skulls and Cleverly, Skulls and Anderson, one of those, you know, so you've got your old chaps, your old one and your young one. It's like the the, the old big man and small man up front isn't it the, the thing is still that we've got a problem in that we just don't have the, even though we've got this abundance of central midfielders we still haven't got the the answer to the problem with our central midfield it's the, the broken record stuff eventually it'll change eventually skulls and gigs will actually retire happy birthday gigsy as we record this as well Talking of Giggsy, I think we should move on to some Twitter questions that are not specifically related. At WeSum underscore asks, if you had to choose a current United player to be your life partner, who would it be and why? And I think it's pretty clear to me that the answer to that question would be Ryan Giggs, because the stuff that you don't want to necessarily have to deal with, he's taken care of with other people. He's not, you know, he's got no problem in that regard. He'll be off with all and sundry and you'll just be at home with the big pile of money in the big house Paul on the other hand you could be the gay hero that Anders Lindegaard's asking for well that's true but if you were to be that gay hero who would it be with I think it'd have to be Anderson because uh, when it comes to shooting in the box he's just terrible oh my god at we some underscore I hope you're pleased with yourself look what you've done at NRD Brennan asks are you boys regular readers of fanzines now or in the past and what are our thoughts on them generally I have copy of Red Issue 1 and many hundreds in between and uh, and still get United We Stand and Red Issue every month. No, I, I do not like Red Issue at all anymore. I don't like what it's become. I don't like how ugly its content is, broadly speaking. I don't like the level of cynicism and the kind of, you know, occasionally they come out with a brilliant piece. You know, I used to very much enjoy it when I was a teenager, but I sort of kind of feels like it's for teenagers by teenagers. I don't know. Controversial. You'll have them coming around and doing a necrani on you <laughs> yeah right exactly well you know I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't care what i think so the, the quality of editorial in united we stand is is better in my opinion and yeah that's what i was gonna say fanzine of the year of course so yep. they, i think they serve two different purposes and, and that's all well and good of course none of them are as good as united ran monthly when we did it for those short six months that was great wasn't it it was why didn't we print it out and go and sell it at old trafford did it should have done but it was a hell of a lot of work <laughs> yeah that's true and so, um, after those Twitter questions, of course, we have Rant Back, our new feature. We got some rants! Yay! Some well, rant backs. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, who's contributed those, and we've picked out two to answer. And here's the first one from our friend Liz. 
Hey guys, at Liz Worsley here. So I really need to have a rant about the boy Skulls. He's been my favourite player ever since I can remember being a United fan. And when he came back middle of the way through last season, I was jumping around like a kid on Christmas Day. But let's face it, ultimately he didn't change things enough to prevent our collapse at the end of last season and stop the title going to City. He still has moments of sat-nav magic and can alter the momentum of a game, but I'm really worried about how long he can actually sustain it this season. I've heard other rival fans say that when it comes to him and Giggs, we're relying on Dad's army all the time. And I feel like the midfield quandary has become fair Fergie's Achilles heel now. It makes me think of a quote from Blackadder that if nothing else works, a total pig-headed unwillingness to face facts will see us through. As much as I'd miss seeing him play, I hate the thought of him having to add a few miserable chapters at the end of his autobiography about how he should have stuck with his decision to retire. What do you think? It's a good question. So, is it time for Paul Scholes to retire? Well, we talked about this a little earlier in the show, didn't we? About his ageing legs looking ever more ageing. Uh, and um, be shocked. I would be very shocked if Scholes goes beyond the end of this season. Yeah, I would be just as shocked if he goes before. I think he serves an incredibly useful function in the squad still. I do think his first team time is going to get less because, you know, I I think it's happening, basically. I think I think we're in the middle of watching it happen. But, as I said earlier, he's giving the ball away when he's not under pressure as well now and and as for the next question this i think is the big burning issue of the day hi guys i'm afraid i don't have a 606 style rant for you so i thought i'd try out your new feature with a question for the podcast after fergie was spotted at this week's city madrid game sporting what can only be described as a victor meldrew style cloth cap i'm just wondering what kind of hats you think Fergie should try out at future games? Personally, I was thinking something like a green and gold balaclava, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. And that was Jason from Rochester. An excellent question there. I think Fergie should wear a bowler. Oh my God, that's a really good shout. I was going to go with a trilby. I think Sir Alex would look absolutely amazing in a trilby. Uh, trilby's a bit hipsterish though, you know? No, but like, not not on Fergie. On Fergie, it's like just first time around. Proper, you know, he's the, he's the right generation to just wear a trilby straight up without any Shoreditch pretension attached to it. I think he should wear the bowler and uh, a suit with the Scottish, the St. Andrew's flag as his trousers you know in polter style perfect just perfect and when i say perfect i mean the worst thing i've ever heard in my life a shout for fergie's hat though absolutely beautiful and lots of speculation that he was going to slip it on ronaldo's head to disguise him as he sneaked him out of uh, the etihad but sadly that hasn't come to pass yet unless sadly not i I was kind of disturbed in a way because i thought "Mm, it's it's bordering on the stylish and the kind of nonsense oh I'm so gutted that you just said that. I'm really upset now, Ed. Sort of ruined my evening. Let's have a preview, shall we? Who are United playing this week, Ed? CFR Cluj. And uh, before that, of course, we have a trip to Waitrose. We're all going to Waitrose. We're all going to Waitrose. Nah, 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 nah. Reading are sponsored by Waitrose, and I find this to be wrong. Not so much wrong as... It's a sign of our times. Sort of hilarious to me every time I see it. I think I would feel that way about any supermarket sponsoring a football team. To, to be fair because there's something about the branding of a supermarket that it does just doesn't make sense like you know if Liverpool was sponsored by Tesco every little helps laugh but it certainly would for Liverpool at the moment uh, yeah uh, yeah exactly to be honest Liverpool should be sponsored by Aldi it's kind of more on their level isn't it 
If Liverpool was a football club, it was a supermarket. If, if Liverpool was a football club. Yeah, yeah, well, no, that's, that's probably quite right. If Liverpool was a supermarket, what would they be? I think they would be Safeway. In that, you know, they in the 80s, it was like a really big deal, one of the main supermarkets, and now you just don't hear very much about it anymore. Does it even exist anymore? No, it's been bought out by another supermarket, which is what's happened to Liverpool, essentially. Totally works. Totally works. United, sadly, would be Asda owned by an American conglomerate. Anyway, uh, fo- football teams are supermarkets. Chelsea Chelsea would be a very, very boring, poorly managed supermarket. Rafa's back, Ed. Rafa's back. Two nil-nils on the bounce for the boys in blue. You know what I can't understand about this whole thing about Benitez at, at Sanford Bridge? Why hasn't he been sacked yet? He's got a 0% win rate. Absolutely. He's got zero goals to his name as manager as well. Lovely. Reading this weekend, who, who are not doing very well. A comfortable win for United, Ed, obviously. You know, no problem. Just scoring a hatful. It's going to all all work and be flowing no I mean I can't I can't see anything other than a slightly awkward win for United because that seems to be the order of the day but Reading will play better against us than they've played against anyone else because that's what happens Yes, I suppose so. I mean, you know, they've, they've been losing games, of course, because they're second bottom from the league. And, and uh, you know, you kind of expect that. They've just come up from the championship and all of that. But you kind of feel there is something in there with the Reading side. You know, they do try and play decent football. And McDermott's a young manager who trying to get the, them to be a bit more clinical in front of goal and all of that. And that's kind of their problem, isn't it, Reading? You know, and, uh, although they did manage to go and lose at Villa the other day, which, which says much about where Reading is and... And lost at Wigan as well before that, which is a problem for them. They're losing to teams that might be around them come the end of the season. But strangely managed to be Everton, who've been in great form recently. Is it at this point that we mentioned that their manager, Brian McDermott, looks like a giant baby? <laughs> no? OK. No, we'll just leave that to one side. Yeah, they're, they're a weird side, aren't they? they? They did pull out a good result and... I feel like they're as you say they have something about them and and you know i would not be shocked if they got it together to to keep the side afloat and, and keep them in the premier league or at least have a jolly good crack at it but you know i wouldn't mind if they go down really waitrose sponsorship pretty sure they have goal music right that's the the category that makes me decide who i want to go down although this season it's pretty much dominated by well, qpr and sunderland to go down because of the, the last game of last season although it seems sad to root for john o'shea and west brown to get relegated Jason Roberts, also known as Malcolm X, has has been up front most of the time, not scoring any goals. Yeah, he's not been scoring any goals, but he has been an important figure in in the game. I think it's fair to say he's been interesting, interesting character this season. Jason Roberts. It's so depressing looking forward to United games at the moment because it's like I don't know what's going to happen. Probably we're going to be a bit of a disaster and win. That's most likely. Sometimes we're going to be a bit of a disaster and not win, and that's when it's really bad. And then presumably at some point it'll work and something good will happen. Yeah. So what what you're saying is that. United are going to put six past Reading at the weekend. Yeah, no, I'm predicting a, a I don't know, 2-1 win or something. Yeah, it sounds about right. I, let's let's go crazy, shall we, and say United are going to get a 1-0 win. Two in the trot. It's going to happen at some point this season. I feel that feels less likely than 6-0 to me. Cluj, then, oh, I don't know. What's the point of previewing this game? I don't know why the tea lady doesn't play against Cluj. I really don't. She might, but there's no way to talk about Phil Jones. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she's also she's probably not registered in the UEFA Champions League squad unless the tea lady's under 21 which she might be it's a young man's game these days tea ladying what kind of side is he going to play is he kids kids and second stringers yeah of course of course I think it being at home against the worst side in Europe <laughs> give or take a Liverpool here or there is, uh, is a guarantee that he'll play probably an even more experimental side than the one that played away in Galatasaray uh, a week or so ago in fact that's yeah. fine isn't it you know so I suppose even if United do get spanked it doesn't really make any difference although it just adds another into the losses for the season column but yeah it just doesn't matter though does it it really really doesn't matter We'll see Bootner again, who every time he plays convinces me that he's got no place at the club. But, you know, hey, that's just me being prejudiced against a, a young man who may get better. Not. And maybe we'll see Scott Wooten and, and Thorpe and, and Lingard and all of these kids would be nice. Yeah, hey, maybe we'll even get to see Bebe. No, no, it's that's unlikely. Not sure Bebe is going to make it into the into the into the side. I don't know. It's impossible to predict that result, except that probably it's going to be a weird game, and will definitely definitely not be a sellout. Empty empty seats are plenty in that one. Yes, I would have thought so. Talking of young men whose future is unknown, David Beckham is in talks with Monaco, apparently. He's going to go and join the, the French side, who are in League Two these days, which is... Um, would that be a step down from L- MLS? Well, it might be, you know. But French League Two, because uh, he really needs a new challenge in his life and, and not a pile of tax-free cash. Monaco. Ah, what, a, what an odd, strange and noble footballing destination that is for David Beckham. Doesn't seem to be any ulterior motive in that whatsoever sort of disappointed by that really and almost rather he went to qpr no no i'll take that back of course beckham famous for his squeaky voice he could do a, a helium fueled joey barton and, and put on a comedy french accent yeah talking of english players in france i think it is now about time that you know me and you we um how you say uh, brings the podcast to a close and uh well we have played the best possible football that we can actually what i'm now doing is pretty much just arsene wenger <laughs> so uh, joey barton was not quite like that but he really was saying you know well uh, um, um i uh, play well for uh, M- M- marseille and uh, Ligue 1 is a bit uh, how you say boring unbelievable unbelievable stuff from Joey Barton full on Steve McLaren but the French version of it so I, w- I wish we could put the two of them together <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> head to head you know interview style two Ronnies show uh, Joey Barton you've come to France and how are you enjoying your football here uh, well uh, Steve McLaren I am enjoying it very much there you go that's as if it really happened Predictions for the two games. Well, 1-0 to United against Reading, as I said. And a comfortable 2-0 win at Cluj. That will be three clean cheats in a row. Become boring, boring United. Yeah, it, it's a weird old season, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's about time that we end the show. So before we do, if you want to get us in between shows, as always, at United Rant on Twitter for Ed, at UTD Rantcast for me. Write us a review on iTunes, as a few of you have done. That really, really does help us. So thank you very much for that unitedrun.co.uk slash donate if you want to give us some money and before we go it's going to be another closing theme song and no doubt another classic that I don't know what it is yet because Ed chooses them I think it's fair to say that last week's is going to be on record for the most people tweeting at us that we got a song stuck in their head ever because uh, that was a hell of a version of we'll drink a drink a drink to Eric the King very very appropriate for the anniversary Ed yes well here's another classic for you very good player indeed and it's Charlton the man who does everything to take the corner himself away on the far side two distinct knots of players now one inside the penalty area one in midfield here it comes right footed swirling in the lights inside the penalty area a chance there for United and it's there 
I'll see you again, my red devil friends. I'll hear you around my door, touching my life like so many memories before. And I was a child and so easily led, and you were the leaders of men. Now I doubt in my life. If this ever happens again, and oh how I cried when my mama said, "Busby's babes, son, they're dead." Oh, and how I remember that miserable day. And something was taken from me out on a snow-covered runway in West Germany. And oh, how I cried when my mama said, "Busby."